Hey guys, before we get to today's show, just wanted to let you know I'm going to be taking a few weeks off uh, because of the holidays. I'm going to be traveling just to, to visit some family, uh, and then I'm on assignment for Pac-12 Network covering the Peach Bowl and then the Rose Bowl. So it's going to be a little difficult for me to put some shows together. So uh, just a couple weeks off. Got some great guests already lined up for 2017. Can't wait to share some of their stories with you. Um, and I do encourage you to go back if this is a you know first or second time you're checking out the podcast. All the shows are completely evergreen. Nothing's dated. There's some great stories from broadcasters, their career paths, guys that you watch on uh, a slew of different networks, not to mention some former coaches, current coaches, some former and current athletes. And then if you're looking for something a little different, I think Pete Thamel from Sports Illustrated might have been my second or third or fourth guest, um, but he told a great story about an AAU drug dealing basketball coach who is in prison. And if drugs are your deal, well, maybe not your deal, but you know what I mean. Jay Dobbins, who was a federal agent, played wide receiver at Arizona. He was an undercover agent who infiltrated Hell's Angels. Just a ridiculous story. Those are two of my favorites that are sort of sports theme, but not your typical type of sports story. So do encourage you guys to check out some of those episodes. And once again, always appreciate your support. With that, here's Coach Neuheisel. Lloyd Carr, the Michigan coach, came into our locker room and said, "That's one of the finest football games. I I wanted to get, I wanted to punch him. That wasn't one of the finest football games. That was one of the most heartbreaking football games that's ever existed on this planet." This is the Give Me a Sense podcast. Here's Mike Yale. End of message. I can't thank everyone enough over the last few weeks for subscribing, uh, downloading, and of course, rating and reviewing the, the Give Me a Sense podcast. And uh, months and months ago, when I came up with the idea of doing this show, one of the hardest things about about coming up with a podcast is actually coming up with a name for it. And you think it'd be actually easier than it is. Uh, it took me some time, and then it just it kind of clicked for me right away. Uh, after a couple days of thinking about it, and I don't know why it even took me that long, because the Give Me a Sense podcast, in a, in in some part, was actually named because of our guest today. Uh, I got the opportunity to work with him. I'm lucky enough to call him a, a close friend. Uh, we spent a few years together at the Pac-12 Network. He uh, played at UCLA, uh, a successful coaching career at Colorado, then Washington, UCLA, had a stint in the NFL as well with the Baltimore Ravens. Rick Neuheisel. Rick, it, it, Rick, give me a sense of what it's like to be on the Give Me a Sense podcast. <laughs> give me a sense. I didn't realize that this was the name of your podcast. You know, I knew you were destined for greatness, Mr. Yam. <laughs> but uh, giving me a sense, uh, I well, teased it, you over and over of all the interviews you did. You consistently found a way to ask the inter- interviewee to give you a sense of what yeah. it's like to be him or her or whatever. And uh, now to have you have dubbed your your own particular program, your own podcast, give me a sense, I am really, really honored. You should you should be flattered because it is your brainchild, whether, whether you want to recognize <laughs> it or not. But we spent a few years on the set together, and it which almost became a running sense, joke. Which gives the audience a sense of the size of my brain. all of those years together and it became a running joke on how many times in a show i could squeak in or squeeze in rather uh the phrase give me a sense and i would do it and you know when you're on set and you work with certain 
directors and Rick, you know this, you work with certain directors, you know how they're going to cut a show, when they're going to take a shot of you and when they're going to take a shot of, you know, everyone on the set or just, you know, a particular analyst. So I would ask the question, say, hey, Rick, give me a sense of what it's like when you're, you know, and insert question there. And I knew damn well I wasn't going to be on camera. And I would have this grin on my face, ear to ear, just so that you'd have to go and answer the question with a serious look on your face. And try to um, keep, keep a straight face while, you, while we were giving one another a sense. Yes, that, exactly. was, uh, that, was our, that was our lot in life on the, in the, uh, the burgeoning days of the Pac-12 networks. But uh, who would trade them for anything? That was a terrific time and I think both of our lives. Yeah, we I, we both had a fantastic time. And I always say this about you because, Rick, this this show is all about storytelling. And I've said this about you uh, to you and I've said this to other people. I've never worked with another guy that has this ability to to tell stories the way that you do on set and really apply things that have happened in your career or experiences that you've 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 dealt with and relate it to what's happening right now in college football. So now, obviously, you're working with CBS. They stole you from us, and uh, they, they have a gem in you. And, you know, actually, that's a really good place to start because you do you, you had this successful coaching career, and then you transitioned to TV. What was, like, when you flash back, I mean, you get stuck with me in year number one in your TV career, right? You're at Pac-12 Network. You're with me on set. What was... What's that experience? Give me a sense, Rick, of what that experience is like going, going, going from. <laughs> you were trying from... hard to avoid using it, but you couldn't. Uh, let me just say this, like? how fortunate yeah, it was, perfect. because uh, no one who gets into coaching looks as uh, at television as something that uh, they're dying to do, because it usually means that you're done coaching. And those who begin coaching don't ever see it ever ending. They, they, they see it as a lifetime pursuit. Uh, they see themselves as being successful. They see themselves as, uh, you know, going off into the sunset uh, with uh, great championships under their belt and, uh, you know, a big legacy. Uh, so to find yourself into football, in, into the television world from the football world, uh, usually means that something bad happened along the way. Uh, and you're kind of trying to rebuild yourself and, and wondering if this next turn in your life is going to be a good one or if it's going to turn out uh, like the one you just left. Uh, but I was very fortunate to uh, get to work with you and all the others at the Pac-12 Network uh, who basically we're all starting uh, our, own, uh, our own network, our own brand, our own uh, uh, opportunity, I guess, to, to tell the story of that, all that, all that goes on in the, behind the scenes in, in not only Pac-12 football, but all the sports. And it was, uh, it was very fresh. It was very... Uh, uh, easy to uh, acclimatize, I guess, if you will, to a new arena because uh, we were building our own team, and that's what coaches do. We build teams. So it was uh, it was a thrill to be with all of you, and uh, I can't thank everybody enough for being patient with me as I tried to learn what you guys now call the TV business. Well, you, you use the term uh... – you know, team building. And that's what you did. You had to do that at every one of your stops. And I think that's sort of in your, you know, in your blood, so to speak, because I think especially at the college level, those are the things that have have to happen, build a culture. And I think anyone who's listening to this podcast, Rick, you know, they work for a company, maybe they have their own business and or maybe they want to get into the workforce. And I think everyone understands the term culture. And I, I preface this by saying, uh, or, you know, preface the question by saying, uh, you know, this is a storytelling podcast. I don't think I truly understood what culture was in a work environment until I came to 
to Pac-12 Network. You know, I worked at NBA TV, I worked at Sirius Radio and ESPN, and they had their own cultures. Uh, but because this was a startup, I'm going to tell you a story, and I, I'm sure you remember it, but it, it is still one of the more significant things that have happened in my career. It was launch night here, and we launched the national network, the six regional networks, and the digital network. And it's one of the coolest things I ever got to do. And I can tell you, I remember all those times, and we, we had to do so many different takes. I mean, for two days straight, we're taping blocks of this show. But I remember at the end of the show, it's an hour program. I was hosting it with Ashley Adamson. We go into what is called our, our touchdown room, where we watch all of our games every Saturday and, and during basketball season as well. It's got all the TVs in the green room. And Rick, I didn't really know you all that well. I mean, we only spent a couple of days together, you know, taping some stuff. And your wife, Sue, who and you guys have become kind of like West Coast family for me, even though that now it's it's weird because you live in in New York where I'm from. So it's it's sort of a weird deal there. But you guys became West Coast family to me. But we're in this touchdown room and it's me. It's you. It's your wife, Sue. It's Glenn Parker. It's Ronnie Lott. It's Summer Sanders. It's Lydia Murphy Steffens, our, our network president. It's a slew of people that are in there. And I'll never forget this. You you took out you had a, a bottle of Don on and you gave out you, you said this this really cool speech and you said hey you know uh, where I came from in the college football world wins are hard to come by and you know you have to celebrate those wins and you popped open the bottle and I had never had any of that and everyone took kind of a, a sip from the bottle I went right after summer Sanders by the way so it's almost like we kissed which is kind of weird but um, the only one who didn't wipe wipe the previous slip from the bottle <laughs> good addition to the story I don't know if that's actually accurate but I, I say that because that's what you did in your coaching career. What take me through that process when you get to a certain whether it's Colorado or Washington or UCLA, where you as a head coach take over and there's you know, there's probably mixed feelings, right? I mean, there's nerves for everyone that, that works at the at the university. There are people that were recruited by a previous coach. There's you trying to implement what you want to do. How difficult of a task is that? Well, it's it's uh it's the most difficult task, but it's also the most rewarding task uh, because that's what it's all about. Uh, a little background to the to the champagne bottle. You know, when Sue and I got the first head coaching job at the University of Colorado back in 1995, there were a bunch of people who sent congratulatory messages and so forth. And uh, one of our friends sent a bottle of Dom Perignon. And so we had it in the refrigerator and we were going to save it to uh, to celebrate, hopefully, our first win, which was against Wisconsin. Uh, that was the opening game. We were going to go uh, to Madison and play Barry Alvarez's team. And, and we found a way to win the game, uh, flew all the way home. It was a night game, opening game of the season. We got home probably around 2, 2.30 in the morning and popped this bottle of champagne, just she and I. And uh, we said to each other that we're going to have to remember that never to get callous in this industry because it can be gone in a heartbeat. We'd seen it happen uh, in, in our lives uh, as assistant coaches. And, and now as, as head coaches, we were never going to look a gift horse in the mouth, so to speak. And we we're always going to celebrate. So we made it a, a point that we were always going to have a bottle of Dom Perignon. We had also learned from Troy Aikman, uh, a player that I coached at UCLA, who'd gone on to big and great things with the Dallas Cowboys that you don't necessarily need champagne glasses to drink champagne properly. You just drink it from a bottle. Take a horn off it, is how he used to say it. And so uh, uh, we've been doing that since we started coaching. And, and 87 wins later, you know, it's been kind of a fun thing for all of our friends to get together after a win. We all pass the bottle around, take a horn off this. 
Well, it struck me uh, as we began that night at the Pac-12 Network that this is what we're doing again. We're, we're building a team. And teams have three things that they all ask themselves. And it doesn't matter if it's an athletic team, a business team, a, a family, or what have you. Is Who are we? Where are we going? And how are we getting there? And one, identifies yourself. Two, gives your goals. And three, sets the plan. And uh, obviously, as we began that night in San Francisco with the Pac-12 Networks, uh, we knew who we were. We knew where we wanted to go. And the only way we're going to get there is if all of us as as teammates would stick together and and, uh, support one another. And that was the way to solidify that very, very uh, thought and and, uh, the essence of of the the process that we were embarking upon. So it was a thrill. Uh, It's, you know, different than football, but it's a team nonetheless, and it requires all of the same elements of teamwork to be successful as you've come to realize, given all the great folks that are there at the Pac-12 Networks. Rick, I want to back up for a second because there are student athletes that I know listen to this podcast that have aspirations to play at the professional level. You you go from UCLA where you have a successful career as a quarterback there. Um, you know some stints playing professionally as well. I know on onset you've told me uh, some of those stories, and we've had some fun with that over the years. But how do you make the transition from playing and then going into the coaching world? Because I got to think that that's a hard switch to flip when you still feel like, hey, I, I have those juices where I still want to play and compete? You know, that that's the, the thing that maybe amazed me most when I first made the switch from participating and playing football to now coaching football. Uh, first of all, you have to love it. You know, my dad told me a long time ago, make sure you get a job where you're never watching the clock. Well, that's never been more true than anybody who gets involved in, in coaching football because if you're watching the clock you're gonna you're gonna go crazy because you're if you break it down to what you're making hourly you got to find something else to do because it doesn't make any sense because you're around the clock but it's your passion you can't imagine doing anything else and you can't wait to be there and uh, you, you look forward to going to work and, and uh, when you leave it to uh, you leave work to head home you're, you're thinking about things you need to do the next day it's just the way it is uh, with that being said you need to understand that uh, you know the coaching business is, is uh, tire I mean you, you, you don't have anything but uh, that on your mind but when you win a game as a player you get this euphoria you win a game as a coach it's unbelievable that the same euphoria exists and maybe even more but the defeats for a player are gone by the time the plane gets back home the defeats for a coach lasts for a week i, th- I think that's why we play games once a week and we everybody said well you need your uh, the bodies to heal you need your psyches to heal i mean you are lower than whale you know what after a loss as a coach because the man hours that you spent they don't jive with with uh, a loss where all, it, it is incredible uh how you have to pick yourself up and yet it's the ultimate uh, challenge we all face when dealing with adversity and, and when you're in a competitive endeavor as a coach you're going to deal with it a lot rick were you the type of guy and I, I think I might know the answer to it because when we're on set, I feel like you could tell me the intricate details of a loss 
from years ago. And I, right. I, I think you could tell me those things about a win too, but for some reason, the losses always seem to resonate more um, when you told me those stories than maybe some of the wins. Is there... Were you the type of guy though that just sort of carried it? Like, do the wins mean? You mean you mean like do... when we lost to uh, Michigan when I was coaching at Washington and we were ahead twenty nine to twenty eight, and there's very little time. It's third down and ten, and we call timeout to tell our defense, "Hey, listen, guys, let them catch it in front of you. They got to kick a fifty yard field goal, even if they make a seven eight yard gain." No problem here. Just make sure you're making the play. And then one of my uh, young freshman DBs is over there talking with an assistant coach all by himself and uh, because he's never played before and he's getting all a little bit more fundamentals on the different calls and doesn't realize he's not in that personnel group and goes out there and becomes the 12th guy uh, on the field and they end up throwing a flag, which is a 15-yard penalty. So a 59-yard field goal becomes a 44-yard field goal and we lose on the final play of the game. You mean like remembering losses like that? So you, um, it sounds like you needed a little bit more than a week to get over that one. That, so the, that, Mike, that was longer than a week to get over. I mean, that, that still haunts me. Lloyd Carr, the Michigan coach, came into our locker room and said, that's one of the finest football games. I, I, wanted, to get, I wanted to punch him. That wasn't one of the finest football games. That was one of the most heartbreaking football games that's ever existed on this planet. Uh, but, did, yes, coaches did, did, do carry those slings and arrows with them. Did you get more from a win than you like? Did the win mean more and affect you more than a loss did? Well, that was the whole reason behind the champagne. Because if you're not careful as a coach, it won't. You'll you'll remember the losses. You'll feel only relief when you win a game. If you're not careful, and there are a bunch of guys who are at the uh, the final chapters of their coaching career who know exactly what I'm speaking about. And I think when that's the case, that's the time you have to leave because it's not healthy. Because we can't avoid that there are going to be setbacks and heartache and so forth, unless, of course, you're Alabama. But, uh, but, but the, point, the point is that's, that's an impossibility to, to avoid those kind of things. And yet if you don't feel the euphoria of victory to go along with the heartache of defeat, then there's no balance in your life, and that becomes very, very problematic in terms of being uh, a person that your family wants to live with. Rick, I don't want to pile on because you already told me a, a heartbreaking defeat, but what's in your career, and it may be not even a game, but what's what's that low point? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, that one, that that because uh, that was an opening season loss, became a hangover for an entire season. That was very, very difficult. But uh, yeah, I've been in places. We lost a game while I was at Washington uh, to UCLA, my alma mater, uh, that would have put us in the Rose Bowl my first year in 1999 an overtime loss to uh, UCLA uh, we kicked a big field goal a 56 yard field goal to, uh, uh, to put the game into overtime and our quarterback Marcus Tuiasasopo was just a you know a warrior and, and had hardly practiced the last two weeks because of an injury he sustained against Stanford two weeks earlier in a game that uh, we took we took control of the conference this is before the conference was in division uh, and, and we get into overtime and we've got, uh, Jeremy Stevens wide open down the middle, wide open down the middle. And he ends up throwing, trying to force the ball into a corner route, Todd Elstrom, and it gets picked off and we lose the game in overtime. And we're going through the, the film in the, in the, the aftermath of the game showing Marcus where it's two safeties. The read was to be, you know, the, the post down the middle of the field. And he's looking at me, he goes, I thought it was cover four. 
and I'm I'm pointing out where it was. He goes, oh yeah, I I forgot. And and he's a kid, and we don't understand. You know, twenty year old kids will forget. But in this case, on this day, for these coaches, you don't know how many more chances you're going to get. You can't forget, and yet that's the essence of of the job, where we're we're teaching young men how to deal with you know life, how to deal with all the different things that go on in life between 18 and 22, and to do their best on the field and to play their their hearts out. And who can say that Marcus Duyasopo didn't do that? He ended up being a Rose Bowl MVP. But the bottom line is he just forgot. <laughs> in forgetting, he ends up, uh, uh, you know, missing out on a chance to have a second Rose Bowl. But those are the kind of things that coaches hang on to for a lifetime. And, and I think that's where we have to get back into our heads what we really need to hang on to for a lifetime is that I got to coach Marcus Tuyas. So I got a chance to be around that great kid and all the great teammates that he had. And I got to participate with rather than focus on what might've been because of a victory or a loss, we got to hang out. And those are the relations. It's a delayed gratification business only after you're done. It's an instant gratification business while you're in it, if you're not careful. And uh, I think that's what, when you transition from the young coach to the old coach, you begin to realize. Rick, you you tell a story about Marcus being this young kid and sometimes kids forget. I always recall those moments working those signing day shows with you where in my head, I'm thinking to myself, can you imagine being a college football coach relying on fickle 17 and 18 year old kids who are going to flip the switch and go, Oh yeah, coach, I'm going there. I'm going to play for you coach. And then that day signing day comes and they, they go and commit to another school. That's, that's gotta be pretty painful, really well, painful. <laughs> at, at day's end, uh, it, I, I don't blame 17 and 18 year olds for, for making uh, decision changes. Uh, that happens all the time. In, in fact, Mike, very rarely does the 17 and 18 year old make that decision. The key to recruiting is figuring out who, in fact, will make that decision. Is it a mom? Is it a dad? Is it a grandparent? Is it a coach? Is it a guardian? Is it uh, someone else in the inner circle? And building that fence around a recruit and, and understanding who the decision maker is, who the champion is, as coaches like to say, uh, is paramount to being successful as a recruiter. When young coaches come back, coach, I had him. No, you didn't have him because he wasn't going to make the call. Who's going to make the call is the girlfriend's mom, if if in fact that's the the dynamic. And and I've got stories that point to all different uh, uh, decision makers uh, from from my past. That uh, you know, I had one one kid that actually went on television and chose another school. And I'm sitting there dejected at my desk thinking, I thought I had this guy. I'd worked him for months and months and months. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call from his dad, and his dad says he can't do it. I said, what do you mean he can't do it? Well, he can't go where he just said he was going on TV to please his mom. He really wants to come with you. I said, has he signed any letter yet? He says, no, he hasn't signed any letter. I said, then take the letter and stay on the phone and walk with and go to the person at the television station and hand the phone to him. So he and I said, where is a fax machine? <laughs> and we walked him to a fax machine in the television studio so that he could send me the letter of intent. Just despite the fact that, that he just put on the other team's hat. 
I've been on, I, I've been on this rung on every rung of the ladder, Mike. And uh, while looking back, they're all fun to talk about. It, you can't imagine the uh, swings of emotion that go along with them. Can you tell me who that was? Uh, I, you know, it was the kid that was choosing between UCLA and uh, USC, and and uh, it turned out to be a good deal for us. Excellent. That's what I like to hear because you you can win those. What what's the worst worst flip that you had that didn't work out in your favor? Oh uh, well, uh, Manti Teo. I was Manti, I knew Manti, you were going to go there. <laughs> Manti Teo. I I jumped off a, a cliff in Hawaii. You, you you've seen that movie Saving Sarah Marshall? Yeah, yeah, Rick. You know that's my go to after a breakup, right? I watched I watched that movie. Props yeah, me back to. Uh, yeah, the, the, where, where they jumped off the cliff in Laieo Point on yeah. the north shore of Oahu. I jumped off that cliff with Manti to celebrate his committing to UCLA. And we went home and uh, to his house, which he lives probably you know, a quarter of a mile from there. And we played the ukulele. I had the guitar out. We were singing songs. It was uh, kumbaya. I mean, it was uh, tiny bubbles and Manti coming to UCLA. <laughs> I get the call the night before and coach, I can't come. <laughs> I, I, I said, wait, what do you mean you can't come? He says, no, I got my dad's making me go to Notre Dame. And, uh, obviously man, I had some, some, uh, some troubles with decisions later too, but, uh, deciding who the girlfriend was and who was alive and who wasn't and so forth. But, uh, at the end of the day, but you know, at kids again, 18 to 22 can't predict. You know, I, I remember being on a signing day show with you and you told that story and you told it on air, but you also told it in our production meeting. And Yogi Roth, who's one of our analysts now, who worked on Pete Carroll staff at USC at the he time. He said that he was is, committed to USC too. Exactly. <laughs> listens to you tell your story and goes, Coach, you realize that we thought we were getting them at USC. And I just, I, it always thought, I always thought that was hysterical because for the pain that you were feeling, you know, Pete Carroll on the other side was, was feeling the same thing. Uh, Rick, earlier in the podcast, you, you said something about college players and sometimes they make mistakes. When I introduced you, I also said that you spent some time in the NFL with the Baltimore Ravens. What's the difference between being around college athletes that are just making their way they're they're starting their careers college athletes that are finishing their college careers and pro guys well pros are just that uh they're they're professionals they they're they're looking for you can you do something for me to help uh enhance my career uh elongate my career what 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 are, what are you going to give me and and if you can provide that if you have a level of expertise, they'll they'll eat out of your hands. They want to spend as much time with you as they possibly can. That uh, and I had a wonderful experience at, at Baltimore with the the great professionals that were on that Raven organi- organization. It was uh, it was fabulous uh, to hang out with all the guys that I got to hang out with and, and provide you know what I knew about the game and what it, how it might help their games. College football players are in all sorts of different places in their life you know some are worried about a girlfriend some are worried about did I make the right choice to come here that I didn't know when I came here that uh, this guy was going to be a uh, uh, a great player in front of me you know uh, there's a thousand different things that go on uh, in that portion of of a young person's life yeah we're trying to make them better football players but we're also trying to uh, 
get them to understand the value of an education. We're trying to get them to, to continue to mature and become the young men that uh, their parents uh, put them on the path to be. So it's a, uh, it's a never-ending chore at college. But, but what makes it great at, in the collegiate level is how fresh it is. Because as soon as you're going to a graduation and watching a guy go off and, you know, hopefully get the chance to play at the professional level or, or get a chance to uh, take the next steps in his life uh, in, in whatever endeavor, uh, you're also having another guy come in that's homesick and you got to take him for ice cream to tell him that uh, homesick's a good feeling. That's just meaning that your mom and dad did a great job of raising you. And uh, this will, you'll get through it and uh, you're going to make them proud by getting through it. it, it it's a constant uh, revolving door of all the steps along the path to maturity and adulthood and having a blast along the way. Rick, spending time with you and just over the course of the years, uh, you know, being on the road with you, traveling, doing our training camp tour, all the hours on set, all the hours off of set, just in the building, um, the meals, the whole deal. I, I've said this to you before. I don't know if I've ever met a person that knows how to enjoy his life more than you do. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, look, I mean, I've, I've had fun in my life, but I feel like, you know, in some ways you taught me how to have maybe different fun uh, as well. I, I'm curious, is there anything... Is that something that's that you're taught? Is that something you just you know? Were you around other people that that live your live the life that you're living now, like the way you do it? Oh, I don't know about that. I you know I've got great parents that uh, were always fun to hang out with. I've got a great wife. Uh, she likes to have a good time. I mean, we're not here for a long time, Mike. We're here for a good time, right? And and there are two things about attitude. One thing is we get to choose them, right? We don't get to choose how tall we are, how fast we run, all that kind of stuff, but we do get to choose our attitude. And is it a good one or a bad one? The second thing about attitudes is they're contagious. You, if you've been around somebody with a bad one, you avoid them like the plague. You do not want to be around Johnny Black Cloud. You know, that don't, don't be around that guy. And, and you'll avoid him at lunch. You'll avoid him in a, in a break room. You'll avoid him at work. You'll avoid him. The person that's always upbeat, enjoying life, has something nice to say about that. Those are the people you want to hang out with. Well, if you have a choice as to which one you want to be, then be that one that uh, is going to have more friends and more things to do in life going uh, going forward. So that's where I've tried to land despite adversity because we all deal with it. Rick, what's the, you know, you told me about some of the, the cool moments, uh, getting a guy to commit to you that was supposed to go to SC or, or some of the down moments, you know, some of the losses as well. What's the high point? And, and you, you've had successful stops at a lot of different places, and you've told me great stories over the years. But if I said to you, give me that one story that when you, when you I don't know, when you have time to reflect over the course of your career, you say, boy, that one, that one still feels really good. That one's the one that stands out. Well, listen, the pinnacle, when you get into an endeavor, there's always a goal, right? Uh, you know, it's easy to articulate the goal when you're on a team. It's to win the championship. So when when I was part of a Washington team that won the uh, Pac-12 champ, or it was then the Pac-10 championship and got to go and play in the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl, that was, without question, a, a high point. No question about it. A... Uh, absolute thrill uh to be a part of and you know so it, when i think back about those days uh i'm you know have great fond memories 
we lost a game. This is 2000 season, Mike. And we're, uh, Marcus is our quarterback. We're picked to, to be a pretty good team. We lose to Oregon in Eugene in a one-touchdown game. Uh, but it's a heartbreaking loss. Matter of fact, it's our first conference game, and we're now we're 0-1 in the conference. And I remember we were going to play Oregon State, Dennis Erickson's team, the very next week. And it was, uh, you know, they were a darn good team. They, they didn't have necessarily the reputation that Oregon had at that time, but they certainly had as good a football team. And ironically, the three teams would end up uh, at season's end all right there as the best in the conference. So uh, we're playing Oregon State. And I'm, I could tell we still had a little bit of a hangover uh, from the game before losing in Eugene. And I'm talking to the guys. I said, guys, listen, if, if I could tell you that we could transport into the future, I, I, I'm going to press a button right here on this little uh, uh, lectern that I'm standing behind. I, and I'm going to, we're going to all go off into the future and we're going to go to the Rose Bowl. You're going to all get your Rose Bowl sweats. You're going to get your per diems. We're going to hang out in Beverly Hills and all the different things that go along with that uh, uh, chance to play in that big game. Then we're going to get to play in the game. How many of you would want to go? But by the way, before you raise your hands, let me say, we don't get to play the next seven games. We don't get to find out if we're good enough and, and deserve to be there. We just get to go. We just get it handed to us. How many of you want to, me to press the button? And obviously, no one raised their hands. And so we talked about the journey. And how the journey is everything. You know, it isn't when we come back as old men, we're not going to go look at the Rose Bowl trophy from that year. We're going to go back and tell the stories of how we got there and, and the, uh, the glue that were the relationships that helped give us the chance to get that, uh, that great uh, memory. And, and so now fast forward, it, it was the end of the season. We're playing Washington State. And if we win the game, coupled with Oregon State beating Oregon, which happened, and we knew that prior to the game. I remember a couple of coaches coming up to me. Did you hear the score? I said, I know the score. Don't say a word. Let's just go play our tails off. And we beat them 51-3. to And we came in and had one of the great celebrations I've ever been a part of because now we not only were going to the Rose Bowl, but we had earned the right to go. And I remember one of our offensive linemen were on a bus uh, going to the airport in Lewiston, Idaho, to fly back to Seattle. And he comes up and he goes, Coach, aren't you glad we didn't press the button? And I looked at him and I said, you know, Matt, there really was no button. (laughs) 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 And he looked at me and he goes, confused. And I'm going, you knew that, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, I knew but it, it's 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 life, right? We you gotta go through it. Nine months of, of of carrying a child is is hard hard work. Ask anybody who's going through it. Uh, Ashley, I'm sure can tell you a great story about that. But it was all worth it when that child's born, and that's what the journey's like. And that's that's. Uh, what coaches get to do each and every year, and that's what makes it special. That's why no one leaves the game voluntarily, Mike. We all have to get uh, shown the door, and then we come work TV with guys like Mike Yam. Yeah, yeah, you get stuck with me, as I as I said earlier in the show. Uh, Rick, what that's like to have an old fired football coach. <laughs> Rick, those are those are. Rick, those are some of the best days I've had uh, in my career. Is, is you are you are, and I say this with all sincerity. Uh, you are supremely missed uh, by everyone in here. 
you, you talked about culture building. You were actually a huge, huge huge part of the culture building that took place here at Pac-12 Network. And and uh, I know uh, Zucker on set with you now and, and Brian Jones, they they probably don't even realize how lucky they are to uh, to have you with a, with playing on their team. Um, of course, I want our team to beat your team, and you know that. Um, <laughs> so that's never going to change. But uh, you are missed on set, Rick, and, and uh, it is always great to have you. And uh, give me a sense of what this experience was like being on this podcast. Oh, one of a kind, my friend. One of a kind. I say it with all sincerity, you are the glue of the Pac-12 networks. Rick, uh, you should be my agent, man. You should be my agent. <laughs> I really appreciate Rick stopping by the show. Always great spending some time with him and, and hearing some of his stories. Some of those I actually hadn't heard before, which is kind of cool for me. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And, and once again, thank you guys for your support of the Give Me a Sense podcast. I know we had some fun with that title there, but Rick really is a big reason why the show is called what it is. Uh, if you do see the show on social media, you know, continue to spread it. The messages that I've been getting about the show really are are really, really cool. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, and if you have some friends that are into podcasts, you know, let them know about this one. Uh, and don't forget to, you can continue to rate, subscribe, and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, wherever you're finding your podcast. And it, this is actually your first time listening to the show. Uh, this is what we do. There's nothing ever, all the shows are actually evergreen, so you're able to go back to any of the shows that I've done in the past, and you can listen to them at any time. If you like the coaches' stories, Mike Leach was on the show, Rich Rodriguez on the football side, uh, Tad Boyle, Larry Kuskoviak on the basketball side, now that we're in the throes of things uh, during basketball season. We had Steve Lavin and Corey Close at UCLA talk about the legacy of John Wooden, uh, and then broadcasters. I know some people are interested in broadcasting. I get those questions all the time. Tony Reale came on the show, Kevin Connors, who does Sports Center, Deuces Rogers, one of my buddies who I worked with at ESPN, who's now uh, working in Philadelphia. All those episodes, all those shows, you can go back, hear those career paths, uh, some of the advice that they give um, at any point that you'd like. So once again, appreciate you guys listening to the show uh, and continue to spread the word.